What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Today's episode of the show is brought to you by Einswick Dog Quip, who is our good friend Jason Furman, and we are recording him now a new ad because it's very exciting to announce that he has Firepaw Mills now. That's pretty cool. Yep. So it's another brand of mill that he has. So he still has the HF mills. You can get those from him. And he's a distributor now for Firepaw, which is, a, I think they're a UK-based mill. And he's got the spring poles as well, I've seen. Yep. Spring poles. Spring pole mounts. All that, all the good gear. So everything you can do if you're into the GRC side of thing, which is really starting to take off around yep. the world now. Yep. Jason's got a lot of that gear available yep. on his website. Well, not his website. He hasn't got a website, no, he, doesn't he? Have he does website. Facebook. Bloody Facebook. You've got to find him on Facebook. Einswick Dog Quip on Facebook. Get yourself on a bloody website, Jason. Know, Squarespace. Not that hard. Yeah. If you need anything, really, he's a distributor for Herm Springer. He can get you branded leashes, tugs, balls. If you need it in dogs, talk to Jason. Yeah, he's great contact in the field. Get you whatever you need. Einswick Dog Quip. Einswick Dog Quip. Einswick. Einswick. <laughs> Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And as a special treat for everybody, welcome back, Birdie. Hello. The bird is back, back in the nest. I am. I love it here. It's my second home. Well, you're part of the show now. You are our resident psychologist. That's what we're going to refer to you as now, our resident psychologist, Birdie O'Sheedy. Yeah. And everybody, so you come in, perform therapy on me. Everybody gets to listen. And that's how we run the show. That's how Pat sees it. I don't think that anyone else sees it that way, but sure, sure, let's run with that. But thanks for having me. I always love being here. You're welcome. It's great to have you here. And I see that from some of the feedback we get online, it's great to see that you're actually getting your own group of people that are really enthusiastic about your message. Oh, that's good. Have you not seen that? Well, it's hard, you know, social media is hard to gauge. Mm. Like I don't, I don't have access to the data that you have. I just can see, oh, I'm mm-hmm. being tagged in a lot of things. Or The episode that you were on was quite popular in some of the forums that we were, like some of the polls that we ran. We got some really good feedback from the people who participated in that. So it was nice to see, like people said, really love Birdie, like, and some of the comments. Oh, guys. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. It's, it's good because you're talking about things that are affecting people or people can relate to not only in their dog training curriculum, but also just life in general. So it's nice that they're getting to say, yeah, I can identify with that a little bit because that's happened to me in the field or me in the job or it's happening to me in life right now. So it's, yeah, it's nice. Oh, thanks. That's a, I take it as a beautiful compliment because that's what I try to do. Like, you know, this is, I guess, my niche because I don't work dogs. I mm. work with humans who have dogs. Mm-hmm. So... Thank you. A lot of people even just like your voice. You know that? You see we get a lot of comments Ooh. on that? That they just... No, no you've, got, you've, got the, you've got the serious fans and the sweaty fans. No, there's people who just... No, it's people just say that they find your voice incredibly soothing. See, that is... Uh, thank you again, but I have, <laughs> I have this... I have, I have my clients in the clinic and then 
They, I know that therapy is going really well when they can hear my accent in their mind when they're doing things like mm-hmm. a commentator. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's annoying, isn't it? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> so I have a bit of a different take on it. But so, I, so they narrate their life like Morgan Freeman does in mine, and uh, but except theirs is Birdie O'Sheedy. Yeah, and she has an annoying German accent. <laughs> but I do know that there's, when I started out in psychology, I found my voice really difficult because people really have to pay attention to me because uh-huh. I say things differently. Yeah. But then my supervisor said, oh, just use it for advantage. People will pay attention to you because otherwise they get nothing out. And I'm like, okay, good reframe. Thank you. Yeah, makes sense. So, yeah. But, you know. Hey, hmm? what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about how to drop your anchor in a really innocent way. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> like in a sneaky way or an innocent way? My definition of innocent. <laughs> so I. Um, That's what usually with me when it's innocent is when my short legs open a little bit and I go, oh, "Oops, that was innocent. I didn't mean to do that." <laughs> Another part that will be getting cut from the conversation. <laughs> hey, so um, you. Uh, I'm sitting opposite of you for the whole show. So to give some context to people that are listening, is you just, uh, looked up. Just give me. I can't recover right now. Like, <laughs> you can't drop that on me, Glenn. It made you blush. <laughs> you did you because blush. I'm sitting opposite of you. <laughs> uh, okay. So to get some context around that, when you were initially going to call your new program Drop Your Anchor, um, you looked that up and it is apparently a euphemism for getting your dick out of your pants and displaying it to everybody. It's a navel thing, isn't it? I don't believe it's anything. I think someone just put that on. Anyway, you've decided to ignore that. And you're pushing forward with calling it Drop Your Anchor. And we will forever laugh about the fact yes, that apparently in some circles, it's also referred Birdie to as Birdie O'Sheedy, sex out. therapist, Drop Your Anchor. You need to be careful what you advertise here. Yeah. No, ignore <laughs> Glenn's last comment. Yeah. No, so, I'm joking. It's a joke. joke. Okay, good. Joke, joke, joke. Joke, joke, joke. Um, so the reason why I stuck with it is because I also ran a poem and mm-hmm. not many people except surprisingly Glenn knew about it, mm. but the rest of us, we were quite innocent about it and we just took it literally like you drop your anchor. And <laughs> it was, the reason why I sticked with it is because it really means, it's really graphic and you can work with it mm-hmm. and it is such a beautiful basic tool for a lot of things to build on. Mm-hmm. And when I plan my interventions or my um, workshops, I really want that people get a, can take away something that they can use with their dogs but also in their real life because the Bravery Workshop essentially was built on how I messed my dog up with my mistakes. And if I would have had the awareness of how does my normal day impact my relationship with my dog, it would have gone a lot smoother so i need interventions that address the dog and everyday life i can't just have both because they're just symbiotic mm-hmm. does that make sense mm. yeah so since we last spoke we talked about how you were putting together this idea for a workshop and since then it's all happening right yes um so i'm gonna be in having this workshop in sydney on the 2nd and 3rd of february i'm going to be melbourne on the 4th and 5th of may i'm currently um, thinking about doing a workshop in brisbane that's still in the works and I have really exciting news and I really want to thank a lot of people because I'm going to go to America. That's cool. That is yes. so super cool. I'm so excited. So mm. I'm going to be staying with the main dog training company mm-hmm. at the at the weekend after the ISC. Oh, Terry conference. and Amanda. Yes, Terry yeah. and Amanda. Yeah. And it's going to be around the 14th and 15th of September and they have the exclusive 
workshop with me in America for mm. this year. They're, be- cool. they're becoming close personal friends of the show. Yeah, they are. They're, yeah, I really adore them. Like, yeah. I really adore what yeah, they're doing. Really nice. They're really cool. Yeah, I'm going to them as well. They're super I know. <laughs> so everybody, if you want to know what they're doing, look it up. www.maindogtrainingco.com. Yeah, I'm doing an EPOPO one there. The what is it? 18, 19, 20, 21. It's like the Easter weekend, I think. I oh, see so in April. Yeah, in April. Yeah, cool. while I'm there for with Jen, so doing two. I think um, they um, promised you some knitted gloves and a beanie or something. They did they? actually. Yes, mm. I was I was inquiring about the weather. I should have put that in my contract. I'm well, like, I want to. <laughs> it's not too late. Retrospectively, at it, I did. Well, I don't think that you're going there when they're like there's a massive snow dump all over the ground. Well, I think I'm going in the most beautiful time of the year. I love autumn. Yeah. Well. Apparently, uh, it could snow as, as early as September Bring and by I April it. it will still be cold. And when I complained about that, they were like, oh, well, I think Terry said Amanda will knit me a, a hat and beanie. And I was like, okay, I'm in. You want to get one of those Sherpa hats with the little streamers hanging down the side? Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. I think uh, yeah, I'll, leave yeah. it. I'll leave it to Amanda to decide what my <laughs> hat looks like. Do you know like. Bob's Burgers? <laughs> the yeah, yeah, cartoon, yes, the animated yes, series? Yes, yep. you should have a, cat, a hat like that, like with little bunny ears. Uh-huh. Yep. That would suit you. That would give you, like, you know, real... I'm not sure look. about that. I, mean, <laughs> I think we'll just leave it to Amanda to decide on my hat. Okay, Amanda, listen Do, to me, Yes, please. Amanda. So yes. that's pretty cool. So let's go back a step on that. You said after IACP, so you are also going to be at the IACP conference. Yes, which is super exciting because there are so many people that I know knowing. I've seen them online and there are so many people that are really cool. Mm-hmm. And I finally get to have a chat with them, get to have a talk. Get drunk with them. I don't drink. Oh, well, well, drink no. tea but in I'm, their presence. I'm hilarious enough without, imagine me on alcohol. I don't think anyone could handle me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, no, but I'm really excited. And also, you know, just to get updates on the latest knowledge and network and dog yeah. yard. It's just hanging out with the people. That's the best part of it. It is yeah, the best connecting. part of it. Putting faces to names and, yeah, getting to network and getting to hang out. And I think it just builds better rapport because you start become a tighter community when you're actually across the room from people yeah. and sharing totally. in activities and, you know, sharing in information. It's a, it's a really good resource. I'm just going to segue out for a little second. I saw a negative post that somebody put up there who's been to IACP before. It said, you know, I've been to IACP and it didn't make me a better dog trainer. And I looked at that post and a few people were commenting on it going, yeah, 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 and jumping on the bandwagon. And I thought, what a stupid thing to actually put up by somebody who should know better but doesn't seem to and constantly gets themselves into confrontations. And I thought, that's just ridiculous because there are people who really need to network with other people. They need to go there and clarify some thoughts. They're having some ideas in their head. So I shun that sort of comment. I think for a lot of, especially a lot of younger trainers, who are looking to branch out into gathering new ideas. It doesn't mean that every single speaker there or every single topic that's been discussed is going to be relevant to everybody, but you will meet people there who can change your life, mm. who can change the direction that you're heading in, who can clarify points for you. And, I mean, you can do that over social media, of course, but there's sometimes when you're sitting down at a bar having a drink together, it'll ignite a spark that you never knew that you actually had. That sort of connection, that personal connection, that personal community that you grow in with each other is invaluable. So those sort of comments are not needed. I mean, if you've you've got negative things against the ISCP or any other organization or anything like that, keep it to yourself. Mm. I think there's another element to it. I think it's also 
the connection that you have with people in real life because online there are so many what ifs, you know, yeah. yet you can't feel it. And to be fair, like, for example, I don't have the best media and online presence because to me, I need to be careful how much time I spend on it. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually trying to limit my access online. I'm still online, but maybe not as much as other people are. Mm -hmm. So for me, seeing a person face to face and getting a feel for them, getting inspired by them, it's such a different brainstorming kind of feel to it because you can bounce off each other. And it makes you so happy. You have memories from that. You know, mm. like you talk or, you know, we all talk about the last IACP conference quite a bit. I hardly ever talk about conversations I had on Facebook or on social media. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Different different memory systems. Yeah. It's definitely that networking, putting faces to names and, and actually meeting people for real. You know, it's so important. Have we told you about you're in on the secret, right? The Australians going to I, ISFP? I was early in in the secret. That's right. But in. you couldn't keep the secret. No, well, there's one non-Australian. In on the secret, but kind of like an adopted Australian. Okay. Yeah, we've we, we've adopted we, a few. There's a few Australian sons and daughters that we've adopted. I like yeah. that. I like I like um, so patchwork families. I'm a big yeah. fan of. So there's them, only so one, cool. and it's because she knew the secret before. She was part of the idea and coming up with the secret before so she's I told the founder. Any, well, before I told any Australians, I told her. So um, that's awesome. Again, quick plug. No, you told me first. Did I? Yeah, you told me first. Oh, look at this guy. He's upset that I told someone else <laughs> you first. You told me. You told me. Yeah, uh, we, we were sitting at the table and we were we were drunk on mojitos and you said, hey, wouldn't it be a great idea if we did this? And I said, it would be. And <laughs> no, no, actually it was before that because we, we talked about it again. It was, it was you asked me if I yeah, had if something. It. Yes, yeah. if I had something. And I said... I don't. And you said, wouldn't it be great if we did this? And then again at the table, you said, wouldn't it be Next great year. where our close personal friend was sitting? And that's where the idea stemmed and then uh, it sort of took wings from yeah. there. So, so, so yeah, I was there. You if was, you're yeah. an Australian and you're going to ISCP, <laughs> we need to talk to you. We'll let you in on the secret. We've got a Facebook group. We'll put you in the group. Um, it's but like it's, Fight Club. Yeah, it's a proper secret. You'd, and and we've had heaps of people like, yeah, yeah, I'm going. And we're like, no, no. When you've bought your ticket. Yeah, when you bought your ticket and there's evidence online that you've shown in the group, yeah. that's when you get your uh, secret revealed. Sounds good. I can't wait. I'm actually quite excited for it. It is going to be fun. It's fun. It's, it's such a bad thing to do again, but it's hilarious. <laughs> they've, got, uh, they've actually got an interesting lineup already this year. They've got- Of speakers. Of speakers. They've got yeah. Ian Dunbar. Yeah. Um, mm. And they've got who I'm- Interested to listen to? Is he the guy with the online course? Yeah, he's on the one that can turn you into a dog training expert in four oh, days. Dan's doing that course at the moment, Udemy. just to show him your lesson. Yeah. Ian Dunbar's going to be interesting. A few people seem to be kind of upset about that. Like he is one of the four, uh, what's the right word? He's kind of one of the most publicly outspoken, force-free dog trainers. Certainly has a large media presence. Uh, mm. Is a veterinarian. Is a vet. Like he's a doc. It's Doctor Ian Dunbar, but is certainly force free, positive only. Well, that's he. He he talks about that. I read a lot of his stuff, and when I first got into dog training, before I started actually physically handling dogs, I was um, very interested in all of his stuff. I consumed a lot of his media. So it's going to be interesting he's to see. He's got some good stuff. He's yeah, got yeah. some good material. I think he like, always he can does. learn. You know, I, we can always learn. I, he, he has something that I quote him quite frequently on. He says something, uh, to, I don't have it in front of me, but his, this would not be his exact words, but he said that, you know, this year around the world, you know, 10 kids are going to be killed by their family pet and that's terrible and unacceptable, but also maybe 1,500 kids are going to be killed by their parents. So, like, you have to keep that statistic in it, it, 
uh, what do you call it? In, in check. In yeah, understand that that's the reality of the situation, like mm. in the billions of people around the world, which I think is something that you know people do need to keep in oh, mind. I'm looking forward to seeing him. Like I would mm. love to hear him because. I think, you know, the, the most dangerous things we can do is to be close ourselves up. Yeah, exactly. There was a lot of people upset that when, when he got posted, like, hey, this is the ISCP, we're balanced dog trainers and why are we doing this? Well, you know, it, maybe he has something in, like relevant and poignant to teach us about one side of the balance because you got Larry Crone going to be there as well. So Larry Crone's, a, you know, well-known. Is he speaking there? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so Larry's. Awesome. You know, and Jay. Yeah, and Jay's doing his flexi lease stuff. So, like, I think that's a good di- that's a, a good dichotomy in that you have um, Ian Dunbar can talk about positive reinforcement and all of that and the use of it exclusively, and that's balanced because then you can have Larry talk about how he uses his e-collar, but then he also uses positive reinforcement. It's not like he is a pure e-collar guy. So everybody's got something that's worth listening to. I think the best advice, which we're pretty much discussing anyway, is go there with an open mind, sit down, take it in, and then wait until the the session is over to discuss it. Yeah. Or if someone just tells straight up lies, you can get up and walk out like I did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know who you are. (laughs) I know who you're talking about. (laughs) But that's the thing, like, in that's like you pick and choose the information that you want to take on board uh anyway we're gonna have a raucous time it's gonna be fantastic i'm so excited yeah we talked about last time and last time we had all these right. uh, <laughs> i was just Birdie was doing like a little, little micro clap you're allowed yeah, to clap because i was so excited I'm doing a little happy dance in my chair here because i'm so excited i wonder um, if pat will be able to get a two liter mojito sippy cup like he had at florida and just carry it around and just carry it around yeah. and keep getting and refills see if i can put on seven kilos while i'm there again <laughs> did you put on seven kilos yeah yeah wow yeah it's um, it's a skill, mm. but also this year we plan on being a little bit more professional in the podcast, right? By like actually assigning more time to do that, we're going to get a room that will um, accommodate it, uh, yeah, allow for that, yeah. And we want to do heaps of interviews. We had these ideas uh, last year of getting a bunch of interviews in the bank and releasing them when we had time, whatever <laughs> didn't happen. Yeah, we, we got drunk. Yeah, we should. If we'd been able to take our recording equipment to the Tiki bar, we could have got heaps of interviews, but we, we didn't. Yeah, I don't know how that would have gone. Yeah, mm. yeah, they're not. So anyway, but we that's did our get, plan. We did get the And I'm super seat. excited Bertie's going to be there. Yay. I'm, I'm literally, I can't, I wish I could show you how the big grin on my face because I was so bummed when I couldn't go last year. Mm-hmm. So this year it's going to be happening. Well, it's good. So the I think the usual lineup crew. I think Brent and Cat are going. Alex Edwards, yay, us, yay. you. I think Lauren Hoyle's going. She's in the yes, room. Yes, yeah, we are sharing a room. Oh, really? We're going to be the party room um, for sleeping. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> I'm not so sure you'll be the party room. We're not the party room. We're the party crew for if we need to have a nap. I think you'll be the pajama room, the recovery room. Mm. Yeah, and also the, the chill out room. room. Like we will have a lot of. Dog training conversations. That's usually how it goes. I think that I think that you now have to give Chad and Jay money for saying that. Ooh. You, said, you said dog training conversations. I am so sorry. <laughs> you have to send them a dollar. I'm so sorry. Can yeah. I pay in hugs? No. <laughs> All right. So let's get back on track. Let's talk about your workshops. All right. So the cool news is that I had last year, I had some workshops, but then I had a bit of a gap. And the main reason why I had a gap, there were lots of reasons, health reasons, family reasons, but also in the first series of workshops, I mainly talked about the PACT model that I had developed. And that was really important to me that I set the foundation right in talking about a model. And I was just wondering, sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe people don't appreciate why I created the model or why it's important, but 
just asking you two, why do you think it's so important important to us that we have a proper model for the human at the end of the lead? Why do we need it? Well, I think the the more stability you have in the human, the better communication and connection that you can actually have with your dog. If you're messed up in the mind, like if your thoughts are scrambled and you're not coping well with life yourself, you're not going to translate anything really well down to that lead. In fact, that's going to be pure venom that's going to go down. Not venom as as far as you know, you're out of control. But the problem is, is when you're not, when you're not feeling right, when you're disconnected between your body, mind and soul, your dog is having a really hard time translating anything that's happening. That's my interpretation. Yeah. It's like you see, there's a quote that gets around that your dog is doing the best he can with the information you're giving him. And if you're not giving him the right information, then his best is not going to be particularly good. Yeah, but why do we need a model? Like, I don't know if you... Oh, like an objective standard, you mean? Yes. We need to have a language around it. We need to be able to categorize what we see. Mm. You know, like if you can't... When we watch the dog owner very often, we can say, oh, something's off or this is wrong, but we actually need to be a bit more precise in our language Mm -hmm. and also understand if this is happening in the room, these are the consequences, like it has a bit of predictability around it. And also it gives us as a profession validity. It gives us as a profession language it gives us as a profession being on the same page and actually talking about the same things Mm. and also i think we own it like you know we have the quadrants of training Mm. we need something similar for humans because otherwise we just kind of winging it and that it deserves better than that Mm -hmm. so i'm not going to talk too much about the pack model if you're interested uh, i've written two articles for the icp magazine or on my web page but the main feedback that i got back from the last series of workshops was We loved it. Like, thank you so much, everyone who gave me feedback. But the tiny criticism that I got was that for dog trainers, it should be more practical. Mm. Like, you know, you really, the dog trainers are practical people. They learn by doing. Mm. And they also have very limited time because they have, to me, dog trainers are relationship counselors. They have the human and the dog in the room, so they need to cater for both. And if I take too much time explaining them the theory, the dog's missing out on time. Yeah. So... I had to really sit back and kind of go like, whoa, how do I do that? What what can we actually do right now? And that took me a couple of months and just watching dog trainers, international dog trainers, what do they do? What's the problem? And I'm really, I was really excited because um, coincidentally, my daughter Sapphire and my husband Dan, they did a meditation course. And I used to teach that meditation course 10 years ago, but now they've done this mindfulness course and it goes for two or three months. And they were giving a handout. And in a handout, I just one day open it and see, hey, what's the latest data? Because I know it, but what's the latest research? And I had this beautiful model there. And it explained everything for me, what we have in a dog training world. And thank you so much, Open Ground Mindfulness, for publishing that model, because that's what we're going to work with. What is it? Say the name again. So the Institute Mindfulness. And it's basically they created a model that shows... What happens to us when we react on autopilot versus when we react with awareness? Mm -hmm. And that is the basis. So the the packed model is the theory behind it. And their model kind of like just builds beautifully on top of it. And dropping the anchor is the big part of it because dropping your anchor is basically an intervention where everything starts. It's like the ABC for anything you do. If you don't know how to self-soothe yourself, how to ground yourself, how to be aware of your own mind space, head space, emotional space, your behavior, nothing will fruit. Mm. Because there is no recipe in dog training. Mm. We can't give people recipes. Like I'm, I'm coming from the school of thinking that if we give people recipes, we kind of take 
we put our life imprint onto them. Every person has the wisdom and the knowledge to make their own decisions because we, I don't know what's good for Glenn. I don't know what's good for Pat. They need to make their own decisions. So I need to give them tools that they can see it for themselves and implement it themselves. And what we're going to do at the Bravery Workshop is we're going to talk about this and it's going to be like a, a Lego toolkit. You learn one thing and you can build up on it. Mm-hmm. And you can not just use it with your dog, but you can use it in everyday life because you will need better skills at your everyday life that your dog doesn't get impacted. It's like, you know, it's like a marriage. Mm. So it's really important also to know that the Bravery Workshop stems from basically how I mess my dog up. It's it's basically the forum that I'm going to share with people. These are the mistakes I've made. Every time I do it, I feel like I'm going to confession, like I'm getting flashbacks <laughs> to my childhood when I was going to a Christian Catholic church and we had to go to confession every Wednesday. Well, that's part of bravery, right? Yeah, and that's why I called it the bravery because we need to be brave to really talk about what goes wrong, what, mm. what matters to us. And the more people try to mask that, the more fear will kind of override that wisdom that they have. So we need to have a space where we have to be brave. And bravery usually comes with a big portion of being uncomfortable. Mm. But that doesn't mean that the bravery workshop will be uncomfortable. There will be a lot of good things happening, a lot of fun happening. Like we have quite a lot of fun activities planned. But it is a very different dog workshop because there will be a demo dog, but there won't be dogs there because everyone will work on their own things and Mm -hmm. their own life traps, their own unhelpful thinking patterns, their own unhelpful actions. And yeah, so basically what I would like to do right now is I would like to t- tell you the big model that leads up to this because I think the dog world should know this model. Like if I could use this to yeah. d- for him today, would you be okay with that? Sure. Yeah, sure. This is this mindfulness thing you're talking about? Yes. So Awesome. So the present moment is the P in the pack model and the present moment is so important for us dog trainers and dog owners because dogs are the, the ultimate present moment animal. And we humans are not. We usually are hanging in our headspace in the past or we worry about the future. We, we really find it difficult to be in the present moment. Mm-hmm. And I think when I was teaching Luna, so Luna, I'm her third home, long story, difficult start to life. She got a me, I'm a first-time dog owner, not a great combo, probably not the best match. We love each other though. We're determined to make it work. But I did not understand for a really long time that dogs learn in pictures that you show them pictures how they learn. Mm -hmm. And then once I heard that and understood that, I still had that massive thinking flaw in my head that I didn't understand that I am part of that picture, that I only looked at my dog's picture, like I'm like, oh, what does my dog do? But I always excluded myself from that picture. And what happened is that my dog's quite intelligent and, and quite sensitive. So she essentially saw me as part of the picture and I didn't realize it. And therefore we made a lot of, we created a lot of hassle for ourselves, a lot of obstacles. Because to me as a psychologist, it's always crazily important to understand why a person got a dog. That says a lot about what are they going through, what possible life traps are they facing, what challenges are they facing. And I got my dog when I felt quite isolated in my life. So therefore, my husband was traveling a lot. I didn't have that many friends. I just got to Australia, blah, 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 blah. So Luna all of a sudden became a friend. But I had this, and I'm so embarrassed to say, like it hurts me so much, but I had this really entitled view that, hey, I got you. 
I heard dogs are the best animal mm. in the world. They they fulfill your needs. They're there for you when you have a shitty day. You can pat them when you're upset. Um, if you're angry, you take them for a walk. So they become your crutch, right? Mm. And I wasn't aware that I said all the time these pictures up in my dog's head that, hey, you're a really vulnerable person. And every time you struggle with something, you come to me. Mm. If you have a, a dog that has a bit of German Japan in them or whatever, that means they, they will try to be there for you. They, they're very loyal dogs. But that essentially meant I created a reactive dog. Mm. And I think that's so important that we realize we very often have good intentions, but we don't think it through. Mm-hmm. And it shows a, or reflects a really common problem in society that you're after a quick fix. I felt lonely and isolated. I'm like, the dog will fix that. I won't be lonely anymore. Instead of, hey, keep working on your friendship circle, keep developing yourself. The other thing is I was really impatient, so impatient. I had this idea of a dog that I wanted to have, but I didn't look at the present moment of the dog that I had in that moment. Mm-hmm. We're allowed to have visions for our dogs, but we need to accept what we have. Mm. And that can be really hurtful. Mm. And then the other thing is also I really struggled to be kind to myself in that training process. My headspace towards myself and my dog was quite demanding, was quite perfectionistic, was critical, and it was not very... I think if someone would have said the things out loud that I was thinking towards myself and my dog whilst we did on did go through our behavior modification journey, I would have been felt I would have felt really uncomfortable. A like, bit attacked even. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like it would have been uncomfortable. But what this creates is this big petri dish of problems. <laughs> like you're just putting a shitload of bacteria and it's just gonna thrive and you create this chaos. But these are my problems. I'm not saying that every other person has these problems but I was so unaware that for example because I was craving connection and friendship that I was touching my dog the whole time and I did not realize that touch is a very important communication tool in a dog Mm -hmm. and I was just you know throwing myself at my dog and that created so much havoc but that's me that's not everyone like you know if I talk to you and Glenn Pat and Glenn then I'm like, you have probably different problems in your life to me because I'm me and you are you. So I had to look for this model that the openness, um, the open ground mindfulness training created that brings a formula and a pattern to every problem. And that's what I want to share. Sorry, it was a long intro, but here we go. So da- It's a good intro. Mm. Sorry? It's a good intro. Thanks. I try, but so basically we're going to talk about an unhelpful way to approach things like how I did it with my dog and how I didn't create flexibility and happiness and good stuff for myself and then how you could do it. So the first unhelpful model is talking about how to react on autopilot. So yeah, we have the reacting on autopilot model that leads to unhelpful actions. And no matter how we look at it, it will always start with a threat to ourselves. And that usually comes then with emotional arousal. And that threat can look very different for anyone. It could be you go for a walk with a dog and you have a reactive dog and you see someone coming mm-hmm. or you do a trial or it could be anything. It could be the doorbell ringing at your house. So the threat that creates havoc for you could be anything, but that's how the model starts. So something threatens you. And then in an unhelpful reacting way, you are unaware and you pay inattention to your emotional world to your headspace and also to the sensations in the context around you so you're just pretty much on auto autopilot your action because how you have paid in attention is on autopilot you're unaware and that creates further arousal do you know why it creates further arousal 
if you react on autopilot, what usually happens? We stuff it up. We make it worse. Mm. Like, you know, if, if you just react on instinct without taking a step back and you haven't practiced an instinct that is based on wisdom, just on being reactive, you're going to create more chaos. So your adrenaline will even spike more. Mm -hmm. And therefore... Your action is based on habits and views that are outdated and old. Like you're not helping yourself. You're just reacting. Mm. Okay. So I can tell you in a practical example how that would look like. So for me, it was always a big threat to walk my dog or seeing another dog approaching because Luna was quite dog reactive. My inattention to emotion, thoughts, sensations and context looked like that I was unaware that I stressed my dog on top on this. Like I was not aware that I was so stressed by this that my dog actually took that on board and was not just reacting to the person approaching. She was actually reacting to me because I was hypervigilant. I was looking around every corner. I tensed up. Um, my leash handling was poor. Um, my headspace changed. It, it became really defensive and I nearly got angry. I'm like, how dare you walking your dog, right? It's like, mm. you know, like it became really entitled and and um, aggressive in a, in a way. Like I wasn't chill. <clears throat> and then my action was my autopilot. And that autopilot before training was just like to push through because that's what I do. I always push through. And then I got further aroused because I didn't set my dog and myself up to win. And therefore, we had a more reactive dog and a more stressed dog owner. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, mm. totally. It does. Yeah. But can you see how you could implement different types of triggers in this model? Like it could be anything? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you another example. Um, so the, the threat would be you by yourself, you're feeling lonely, it's Saturday night and you're not going anywhere. You're feeling disconnected and excluded. Okay, so you feel really vulnerable, really lonely. You have inattention to your emotion, thought, sensation and context that you get so caught up in that loneliness feeling that you actually don't see options how to change, that you don't reach out, you don't, you're not aware of your body language, you're not aware that maybe some thoughts are repetitive or negative or critical or really catastrophizing or black and white thinking. Your action automation, an automatic pilot would be that maybe you sob onto your dog, like I've done plenty of times, or, you know, you, you, you stay in your bedroom and you're just kind of like getting caught up in it and your dog is there for you, like your dog is your saving grace and he's your friend and your buddy. And that is not bad if that happens every now and then. It's just if that is a life trip that you have a common theme, your dog will understand that this is a common picture. Your dog will understand this is something, there's a job for me to do. Because dogs are such magical unicorns that do want to help you. They will be there for you, right? And then because I would have no awareness of it, I would create further arousal because then I'm sobbing with myself and my dog in my bucket of ice cream in a, in a closed-up room on a Saturday night. That That's why it's called the Brave Workshop because I have to be brave to talk all about these things. <laughs> um, and then I basically I would just solidify my views. I'm like, yeah, I am lonely. Because here I am, look, only my dog loves me. But then also what happens is I fall so much more in love with my beautiful dog because he gives me everything I need that I stop working on the things I actually do need to work on. Does that make sense? It does, mm. totally. So if I, I'm going to give you this section now. I'm going to hand it over to you and see if you can come up with an idea. Glenn, I'm passing it to you. It's the first model. So it starts from the bottom up. You started from reading from the bottom up. So we've got an image of fire. Well, it looks like an image of fire. And right at the bottom, it says threat, which is emotional arousal. 
then it has an arrow up, which is inattention to emotions, thoughts, sensations, and context. Then another arrow up, escalating into action automatic pilot. And then further escalation, which is further arousal. And then the top escalation is action based on old habits and views. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have any ideas how you maybe had a scenario in your life where you felt like oh, that was I was reacting on autopilot? I have reacted on autopilot. I guess one of the times where I used to get into a bit of complacency mm-hmm. and even though I didn't want to be complacent, it was sort of like uh, it just seemed like a comfortable place to be. So rather than do the things that I wanted to do, like I had a list of things that I thought would be productive and beneficial and that would improve me and improve the situation about how I felt at the time. But I kind of just slumped into a rut and it never really got me the things that I wanted to do. And even though I thought, oh, this is, you know, like if I do these things, it's going to make me so much happier. But then when I thought I'll get into this comfortable rut and I never really moved to pass beyond it. But then I kept thinking of like it was a sensation of guilt all the time. Like I haven't done it and I should have done it. And then I'd be down on myself for not doing it. But the rut was comfortable and it just mm. sort of like seemed to be a comfortable space to slip into, even though I really didn't want to be there. Am I on the, am I on the right track or am I? Yeah, yeah, no, this is exactly like you could do anything with this model. For instance, mm. you could also go like, oh, you know, just picking something from the air. You could go to the other extreme. You could go like, oh, I'm avoiding an uncomfortable situation with my in my life and I'm just seeking fun. So therefore I maybe do dog sports, you know, like it can transfer into things. So for example, you maybe have a difficult business situation or a difficult family situation or a difficult situation with your partner, mm. but your dog always is there for fun and entertainment. He always delivers. So then you actually have this unawareness of, oh, you're actually avoiding a diff- different situation in your life. So your dog maybe in that instance doesn't have negative consequences, might benefit actually because he gets a lot of attention, has a lot of fun. But for you, the important automatic automation of your pilot is that every time I'm uncomfortable, I'm going to avoid by training my dog. So so can you see how it's quite flexible? Like sure. there's not mm. no right or wrong? I actually found that during that time it wasn't beneficial for my dog because my dog was stacking on weight. It wasn't getting the, the time it needed. Like I was spending time with the dog but I wasn't spending beneficial time with the dog. So the time that I thought was I was doing the right thing by the dog, like patting and cuddling the dog, that's not what my dog actually wanted. But I didn't realize it at the time. Like I thought, well, because I'm not really feeling like getting out there and being involved in community and everything like that, I thought I'll just spend time with the dog. But the dog was more about I actually want to do stuff. Like I want to go on the walks. So in actual fact, I think I messed my dog up a little bit at that time because of my inactivity to doing the things that I I should have been doing. And I think it's really important to mention right now that Mother Nature, this is my interpretation of it, and please, maybe people have other interpretations, I think it's really lenient and really giving. I don't think we have to get it perfect all the time. Agree. So so this is not when we have to like, oh, I did that once or oh, I did that twice or three times. We're looking for real patterns like life traps, you know, like things you continuously are doing and your dog really gets this picture 
of what you're doing when you're struggling. And it's not a, a variable picture. It's always this type of picture. It's a real life trap. Like it's not mm. just something that oh, didn't go well. It's like, no, this is unhelpful. Like we, we would agree that this is unhelpful. So I'm not criticizing when, you, when you're sick or when you have an illness or anything like that. We do need to be kind to ourselves because usually these life traps are born out of unmet needs or, you know, they're here for a reason. So I'm not wanting to be critical. I'm just showing you people. We humans very often are unaware of how our autopilot contributes a lot in how our dog behaves. Mm. Yeah, I think that's necessary to mention that some people are genuinely sick and they can't help it. You know, like some people, I've I've seen situations or online comments where people are talking about things like this and then people will say, oh, but I'm genuinely sick, like I have an illness. You know, but there's always exceptions to the rule. Yeah, this is not, and I think this is really important. This is not, oh, every time you, you feel uncomfortable with your dog or dog acts up, you did something massively wrong. Mm. I think this is just, if you f- see a pattern and you don't know how to fix it or there's no no context to it, I think context is so important. This could be a way to look at it. Yeah. But I'm not here to, to pinpoint with my finger, you know. I sure, do understand sure. life is complex. Hmm. Pat's giving me a lot of deep looks. I don't know how oh, to take it. I'm just thinking about a lot of stuff. I can think of a pretty um, solid, <clears throat> so to fit that model, pretty solid example of myself, but I don't think it, it, I'm trying to think of one that relates to dogs or a dog training show. Um, this relates to everything. Yeah, no, this I can see that. And I so can think this, of something that it relates to me really clearly, but yeah. I don't know that it's. Um, Let's keep it to dogs because it's a dog training podcast. Yeah. But I think it's that's the idea. This model has to apply to dogs in our own life. Yeah. Like, you know, we could talk about how we relate with our partners, with our children, with our bosses. Yeah. Well, I, I can I can explain very quickly. For me, it's food. I Like, I can see how it's, that 100% yep. applies. Like, I, my whole life of, not my whole life, I don't know. I struggle with eating in moderation unless I have strict guidelines. Oh, so, so, you, so you and I... Yeah, you know, well, that's what I was laughing similar. about, your ice cream when I, thing. When I you, took, you, This is a camp of that people. Yeah. I mean, that, that's yeah. why I keep saying I'm not a poster child for Narelle's business structure. Yeah. Because when people look at me, they go, dude, what happened? And and I'm a, <laughs> I'm really an all or nothing way. kind of person. Smart like, way. and I, I need, like, I'll, if I'm, you know, as we were just talking about before when we weren't recording, like that I'm, I'm constantly, I'm a junkie for... Uh, competitions around health and fitness. Masochistic right? competitions. Yeah, or even like I did that stupid carnival month just because it was a strict guideline. Like I was like, okay, I can I can meet this. What I struggle with and where it fits into that model is like I struggle with too much freedom. And a, like as we've talked about in the past, like I need a, I need a structure and a plan to do stuff. So, you know, if you're saying, oh, okay, I'm just going to eat a little bit healthier. Well, like if I eat two thirds of a block of chocolate, that's healthier than eating the whole block. You know what I mean? Like, so that that's unacceptable for me. Like I need something that's like, okay, well, I'm not eating that at all. This is what I, and, and because of the way my brain works as well, I don't like to say what I'm not going to do. I like to talk about what I am going to do. So, okay, this is what I am going to eat. This is the structure I'm going to eat. And now at the moment I'm in another fucking MEP challenge. So now I'm like, you know, I obsessively have to work out just to, for a competition that means nothing, like it's just bragging rights, but I'm like, I'm in it. And so I can see how that fits into that. And may I say that you bit off more than you can chew with yeah, that Yeah, it turns out the chick's a savage. She's she's killing it. Go with that person. But I think the important thing that we have to take away is that we're not, when we have that insight, is that we're not daunted by it or not overwhelmed by it. But there might be, it might be of importance to recognize every time you understand you're doing your life trap again. Mm. You solidify it. It's going to get harder and harder to change. Yeah. 
It, yeah, getting out of that rut is yeah because is you create really difficult neurological pathways that become bigger and bigger and bigger, mm-hmm. and it's up to you to decide. Hey, I need to change it or not. But I think it's important that you have awareness about it because then you can make an informed decision. Mm-hmm. You know, it's different when I like my food relation. My relationship with food is heaps better now, but it didn't used to be that great. And I think now I can make a decision: Do I want to have chocolate or not? And if I say yes, then I don't beat myself up because it was an informed decision that I made. Mm-hmm. But I think that we have so most people have different types of topics in their life and we can't work on all of them usually. So we have to pick whatever we can do and how many resources we have and what's sustainable at this time and place. Mm. But thank you for kind of solidifying the point that this model can be applied to a lot of things because it needs to be applied to a lot of things because yeah. otherwise... Everybody's situation is different, right? It's different. So Absolutely. You're teaching this model and people are going to be able to, at the workshop, apply it to themselves and their dogs, but also then their clients and their dogs yes. and, and every different client and every different dog. Yes. And, and I work from the perspective of the person is their own expert. They know themselves way better because I don't know, like sometimes we see life traps, but I'm like, you have such a difficult time right now. You don't have the energy to tackle. It, mm. And that's okay. I don't. I'm not here to make you feel even worse about it. So, so we have to also. The context is really important. But let's talk about how to. Can, sorry, can it, I yeah? just jump back on that point? I don't think you're trying to make people feel worse about it at all. I think my perception is is that you're trying to help people come to terms with it, like identify what it actually is that's causing. And I, I mean, we talk about this a lot in, in behavioral modification is is trying to help people come to the core realization of what it is, what that self-sabotage actually is. And even in when you're dealing with a lot of ingrained and long-term dog problems, it's trying to help people find and identify what is the actual core, not the satellites, not the things that are spinning around on the surface that you knock one off and two more come back. You're trying to actually find out what's the root of it all that is stopping you from feeling completion, stopping the dog from resolving that issue. Exactly. And it was, it was really funny because I was um, having dinner with a, with Mary Lumsden's husband the other mm-hmm. night and he's, he's quite a, he's a, a, an expert veterinarian for horses. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we talked about how difficult his job might be. Equine vet. Equine vet, thank you. I yep. struggled with that word. And he said, you know, my job, once I understood Sorry if I misquote you here, but Jonathan, but if he said, if I learn to understand that as soon as I know why it is a certain way, it's easy to fix. But understanding why, mm. that's when most of my energy goes into. Mm. I've done a horrible jo- job in quoting him. Sorry, Jonathan. <laughs> but that was the essence of what I took away. And if we have understanding, I think then it's a starting point. It's like when you do gardening, you need to understand what you're working with, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what can you actually do with this? So how could you... Um, behave and act in a different way. So it starts off the same way. Again, you have a threat. Could be the threat like me feeling lonely or seeing another dog coming along with my reactive dog or could be any life circumstance. And then the model moves up and it goes to attention. So before we had inattention, now we have attention. So all of a sudden I'm really tuned into my senses because senses are a lot more flexible to work with than having judgment in our head or or being critical. So all of a sudden I have attention to my emotions, my thoughts and sensations and the context. And this doesn't mean that we have to have a judgment around it. It just means I have awareness of what's happening. So instead of going like, 
oh my God, that person is so mean. How dare they walk their dog on the same path as me? I go like, okay, I can tell that I'm really wound up. I can tell that I'm catastrophizing in my head. I can tell that my headspace is really negative and entitled and mm-hmm. aggressive. So it's about noticing it, mm-hmm. big change, not getting caught up in it. You're just aware of it. And then comes self-regulation. Self-regulation means I know how to de- um, how to soothe my own body and mind. And this is a big problem in our culture because we are not taught how self-regulation mm. looks like. We not even not even our dogs know how to self-regulate a lot of the time. And it was so funny. Like um, last year, I did a meditation challenge. So you meditate ten minutes yourself, and your dog is ten minutes on a stay command. You know, for pet dogs, I'm not saying for sport people that might be not applicable, but I wanted that my dog has a solid stay, so we did that. And the feedback I got is like, why should I waste my time on chilling out? And I'm like, it's not, everyone's like, it's not fun. I just want to have fun. I'm like, you need to learn to be uncomfortable and not react. You need to be uncomfortable and learn to be still calm and cool about it. So. Oh, you should see Pat's face. He's just like giving me this biggest confession look. <laughs> no, it's, this is this is standby for a rant, right? <laughs> this is where everybody keeps fucking up that box and what I... <laughs> have tried to explain to everybody is the box is meditation for a dog, right? And it is, I was, I've had this same, I, I think I've got the description of this down because I've explained it to 20 people in the last two weeks. Make me 21. I'd love to hear it. The box is a way of teaching your dog to meditate. And that's why the article is important because that's what he's focusing on. Now, let me, uh, I, I wouldn't presume to tell you about meditation, but here's my understanding of it because I, I think I'm, I, I'm not good at it, but I've done a lot of it, right? And a lot of people will tell you, I can't meditate. I can't do meditation because they tell me to focus on breathing and clear my mind or whatever. And I do that for two seconds. And then I wonder where flies go at night. And then I have to go, oh, fuck, what do I, why am I thinking about that and come back? And I would tell you that is meditation. That's, That's the is, point of meditation. Yes, the whole point is to think of a thing, focus on something, Find yourself being distracted, push out the distraction, come back to the focus on one thing. And every time you do that, that's one bicep curl for your, that's one meditation curl, right? And so when you then have to really focus on something, when shit really is crumbling around behind, around you, or you really are stressed about something, you can focus on whatever it is, the task that will, you know, actually fix the problem. The resolution. Yeah, or even if in that moment you don't have the capability to resolve the problem, it's outside of your control, you can at least put the stress out. You have practice through all those bicep curls, those mental meditation curls, pushing it out. And like I have only been really starting to like meditate properly for the last few years. But one thing that I've learned like over you know, countless years in the army is like, they are actually very good teachers of meditation, not on purpose and not through design, but they show you exactly like, this is the task, nothing else matters. And we will try to fuck you up in order to stop you being able to achieve the task. And you will have to, through practice and repetition, learn to identify what becomes a new and relevant task, but also ignore what is not in order to achieve your aim. And the box is the same thing for the dog. It doesn't matter. And this is what kills me when people keep saying, well, I'm I'm not going to do any tracking and I'm not doing any scent detection. So I'm not going to use the article. I'm like, you fucking missed the point. You, you, 
the whole point is you're teaching the dog just to focus on one thing and that is we just have to choose a nominal behavior and in this case it's the indicating on the article so that the dog learns through very small pressures to start with the same way I only thought about where do flies go at night instead of thinking about you know how am I going to pay my bills it's the little things that you'd learn to push out so that you can push out the big things easily the dog learns to focus on one thing and it's a nominal thing. It means nothing. In meditation, it's not like you really, it's not like in a high stress situation, you need to focus on your breathing to remember to breathe. You're going to fucking breathe. You've got a part of your brain that takes care of that outside of your control. It's just a thing. It's just a thing to, to, to focus on. And it's the same with the article in the box. It's just a thing to, to focus on. And the killer, while I'm ranting, the fucking killer in all of this is people have seen me do it live and still can't put it together. When, like, when Chad and Jay were here and we were at Dave's place in Melbourne, we had a the space is confined, right? So it's not like, say, here at Perizots, where you can open the roller door and then suddenly inside feels like outside. It's an indoor space. We had a reactive dog and they needed a dog to be in the presence of that dog. And I came up with Remy because we'd done it with multiple dogs and this dog. Remy healing was, it was way too much arousal to be in the presence of the dog. So then I put him in a sit and even sitting with the expectation of a release was too much arousal to be in the presence of this other dog to get the result that they wanted. So I pulled out my keys, put them on the ground and told him to sook onto the keys. And Remy immediately just drops into a, like the lowest state of arousal a dog can be in, like almost asleep, indicating on the article. Like, cause I can, I know how to kick him into that meditate, meditative state. It doesn't have to be the article. It's not like I have to carry that washer around. I literally just pulled my keys out of my pocket, put it on the ground. And I, and I tried to explain that to people. They're like, oh no, I don't need the article in the box. I'm like, you fucking missed the whole point. Like, this is the thing. I, in that high, it wasn't like he needed to overcome a problem, but I needed for the other dog's sake to put him into a meditative state. I needed mm. him as calm as a dog can be. Uh, and boom, I can on command do that. I can make him push everything else out. All, the expectation that he's going to get rewarded, all the people around, this dog losing its mind at him, everything gets like pushed out because I know through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of repetitions how to ignore the environment and focus on that. And that is what meditation is. For the people and then for the dog. That is the whole thing. Correct me if I'm wrong, Bertie. <laughs> but before you answer that, can I just segue in there just a sec? I know you've taken your big breath and you've No, thinking, no, no. Go for it. I've been meditating quite a lot lately, but I'm doing it through a device called Muse. Which gadget man. It's, yeah, it is a gadget. I've been testing it on myself. It is very, very good. I tried traditional meditation, guided meditation, which was semi-successful. So I've been using, it's a headband that you wear and it connects to your iPhone. You can have different things like rainforest sounds or beach sounds or city sounds or whatever makes you feel comfortable. What it does is it senses your brain waves and it gives you feedback through, like for example, I do the rainforest one. So when I'm not concentrating on relaxing and, and centering myself, it starts raining and then it starts, the wind starts to really pick up. But when you start to bring yourself into a calm state, like Pat was saying, you push those things out of your mind, you hear the rain start to subside and then you hear birds chirping. And then the longer that you can have the birds chirping, that means that your mind is in a, in a state of calm. I went from three weeks ago, because I've restarted doing it again, I, I think it's important to meditate. I went from a state of having about 25% calm to about 75% wow. completely crazed, like it was hitting off the Richter scale 
to uh, last night. I did a I did a meditation for about uh, fifteen minutes. I got eighty percent calm, twenty percent reactive. It's like a neurofeedback. It is neurofeedback. It's exactly neurofeedback. It's like an ECG monitor. Mm. So yeah, you put it on your head, and you've got headphones, and you just put your little iPhone earpads in your in your ears, and uh, it gives you great feedback. So I'm finding it very successful to a state where I'm I'm at a an, a really nice state of calm. So it is a very good device. It's successful. Uh, you can look it up online, M-U-S-E. It's called the Muse Headband. So you can have a look at it if you are interested in meditation and found it highly unsuccessful. I'm right behind this device. I should get commissions off it. because Yeah, I was going to say, are they paying for this? Well, they should, but uh, it is um, it is very, very good. So I'm uh, I'm giving it two thumbs up. Cool. I, I love that meditating community. I just use a washer. <laughs> in a box I just use nothing <laughs> but I think um, there are so many different types of meditation out there that are by no means an expert to talk about them I think the main advice that I have is find something that works for you yeah yeah. you need to find what works for you and don't be naive about it it's not going to be super pleasant all the time but for example there is a very common mindfulness practice it's called the body scan I don't like it I don't like focusing on my body it's not it it's, doesn't work for me. But if you tell me to focus on my breath or if you tell, give me something else, I'm very happy to do it. Mm-hmm. So I think don't give up. But a lot of our problems in this time and age is that we are so reactive. We're reactive to our phones. We're reactive to the That's media. That's a big one, we're isn't different. it? And it, it makes us, you know, we have to always like something. Life's very often about, no, don't like you need to be okay when things are unpleasant. You need to be okay when you, things are uncomfortable because – Nature operates on, let's call it a law of necessity. Mm. I think you just need to be comfortable to tell some people to go fuck themselves. That's my line. Yeah, it is. But <laughs> I like it. I've adopted it. But sometimes you can't tell people to fuck themselves because it's not about them. Sometimes you maybe want to tell yourself to fuck yourself. So do you know what I mean? Like it's difficult. You just need to be not always happy. It's a very hedonistic time in HVR. Yeah. Mm. And our dogs and our humans reflect that everything's supposed to be fun and hedonistic. Mm. You will do much better in life if you learn to be grounded. Explain hedonism for people so they actually know what it means. I would describe hedonism as so, so it's basically when everything is centered around your own pleasure and how you get seen. Um, it's such because there's a Latin word to it, but I'm then maybe read it out. Glenn's looking it up. Engaged in the pursuit of pleasure, centrally self-indulgent. Yeah. And that can be very small things, you know, but it can be really big things. But everything in life is at the moment targeted towards how do you have the best life? Live your best life. Like when I came here, I even saw a KFC advertisement that says, fuck it, live your best life. Mm. You know, no, it, that's true. But at the same time, we need to know what do we do when life's not great? Because life will not always be great. That's just a rule. So coming back to the formula, sorry. So we started off with there's the threat, how you should react with when you're responding with attention and awareness is that if you have a threat, you pay attention to your emotion, thoughts, sensations, and the context. Then you use self-regulation, like dropping your anchor of arousal of your body and mind. You bring awareness to your internal states, your impulses, and your resources and context. And then the actions are based on how you see yourself and others and the context and the values. So to give you an example, if I would walk Luna with my reactive dog and I would see another threat coming, like another dog owner, and I would be practicing self-awareness and I would not use autopilot 
I would bring all of a sudden attention to my breathing. I would bring attention to my dog. I would bring attention to my surroundings and the context, like what are my options? I would bring attention of, oh, you're probably going to be really anxious right now. You don't need to listen to that. You know you're anxious, but don't buy into it. Don't make it worse. Like mm. don't feel it. And then I would regulate myself. Then I would ground myself using drop your anchor strategy. And dropping your anchor strategy is really simple. So I tried, the reason why it's called drop your anchor is because when the waves of life are coming in the storm, you can drop your anchor and you can hold your ground. That's what it means. And I think dogs really respond well to this because it's this type of grounding strategy is quite physical. And I think it goes well when we walk on the leash or when we do a trial or anything. It's very practical. So to drop your anchor, all you do is you push your feet into the ground. That means you're dropping your anchor. Mm-hmm. Not Please calling. listen to this def- definition. <laughs> when I say drop your anchor, I mean push your feet into the ground. Don't be influenced by whatever Glenn and Pat say. <laughs> listen to me. Then as you do this, I want that you take a big slow breath and you straighten up. Walk tall, shoulders back, have a presence. Then I want that you notice your whole body. Like, for example, I had really... I had tension on my lead most of the time. My pinky finger was tense. When your pinky finger is tense, you can't have a relaxed lead. Mm-hmm. I would have tension in my jaw. I would like, you know, I would have um, a cranky face. Like, you know, I would have tension around my, my eye sockets. I would have my jaw locked in. I would standing tall, but I would be kind of aggressive. And my dog would sense that. You know, my dog would know, hey, there's a shift in posture. And then you just scan your body really quickly from head to toe and you just go, like, okay, what do I need to release in tension? Because if I can manage my tension, my dog will see that. Their picture is, oh, a person's coming, you're relaxing. There's nothing to be worried about. Mm. And then the last step, the fourth step is, now look around. What are your options? What's the context? What are you doing? How can you set yourself up? How can you set your dog up? What's your dog doing? Maybe your dog has already disengaged, sniffing the ground, you know, because a lot of mistakes that I made was I was sticking to the protocol that I learned in my behavior modification um, program, but I didn't, I wasn't skilled enough to sometimes read the situation and imply it differently. Like for instance, when my dog would disengage and sniff the ground, I'm like, no, we have to do this sit. Now you mm. need to look at the dog and every time you look, you get a reward or whatever we were doing at mm-hmm. this stage. I was just not aware of it, you know? Yeah. So this is why dropping your rank is really important and part of the um, reacting with attention and awareness. And then your actions will be healthier for you and your dog mm. because you set yourself and your dog up with success. And you can do this with any situation in your life. Does that make sense? 100% it makes sense. And that's why uh, I'm super excited about you doing these workshops because I see so many people who have the practical dog training skills but yet have reactive dogs. Like they know the things to do like from a training standpoint but it's just that they aren't controlling themselves well enough to be able to do those things appropriately. And that sounds so simple but it's not. No, exactly, yeah. It and, sounds and it's, so simple. It's easy for someone – this is why I'm so enthused by what you're doing because for someone like me who's like, stop freaking out. It's <laughs> easy for me to say because I don't feel that. But someone else's concerns are real to them and being able to manage through that themselves in order to get to their dog, I think is so fucking important. It is because, you know, we very often see that dog trainers can handle a dog and a dog is fine, but when the owner handles it, it's a different story. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Or, and then the other thing that we have to put context to is we do have to understand that a dog trainer is a relationship counselor mm. and that dog means the world to that person. They are, they're very, pre- dogs are very precious to us, you know? Yeah. So I think we, we also have to 
understand there is a lot on the table for them. Like there's a high stakes here. For, and it's also a really personal journey because if you, most people are not happy if they, if they get the advice, hey, you should go and see a relationship counselor for your relationship. They're mm. like, why? And that's exactly what you do when you go to a dog trainer. It's a very intimate conversation. Well, I'll mm. give you an example of that. I've got a lesson coming on Thursday for a, a dog aggression incident and the dog's bitten several people. And the first question I asked them, because we've been emailing backwards and forwards, was, do you really want to keep this dog? And I said, I know that's a really harsh question to ask, but I need to ask it in order to go forward from here. And they said, yes, we really want to keep her. We owe it to her to explore all the options before we consider anything else. And they're really going through a lot of internal turmoil because the dog's bitten several family members and they really, really want to know, is this the end of the line or is there other options available to this dog? And I said, I can't tell you until I see the dog. I can only surmise that it's a very uncomfortable situation to be in. But I had to ask that question. That question's a very, very important question. Mm. Like, do you really... Are you committed like, to making Are work? both husband and wife committed to making this work? Do you really want to keep the dog? Yeah, they both come back and said, we both wow. do. We both agree on the fact that we want to try everything before we give up on her. It is, you're right. People do see that dog, even though other people might see that dog as a menace or a, like a destructive force or why would you want that dog? They don't feel that way. And you personalize that before by saying that we all see the world through different mindsets. So it's the same thing with dog owners. Just because we have an opinion on your relationship with your dog that's not how you see and view the relationship with your dog no and i think that's where you have to be humble because just because this is how i would like my dog behave doesn't mean that you would like your dog mm. to behave that way like i have a friend he he has um beautiful outdoor furniture they got a new german shepherd mm-hmm. that german shepherd ate 20 grand worth of outdoor furniture and i'm like so you cool with that? He's like, I fucking love it. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, you're happy. Bye. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 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 you know, it's there's a different standard around what we want in our dogs. That's right. And I think that's okay. I think as long as we are aware that if we, we don't want to um, negatively influence our environment, like we don't want to put other people out by the behavior of our dogs, we want to yeah. take, we have, want to have accountability and responsibility for our dog and our actions. But hey, if you, if you don't care if your dog can hold place or sit, that's up to you. That's not me, not for me yeah. to tell you. That That's a big one. That That's something that it took me a long time to sort of, not a long time, but only recently have really settled into the idea of like people just have different standards and that your standards, not my standard. Like, uh, especially in terms of like what sort of training people will use on their dogs. Like you might get some really people who are like, no, I'm never going to use any force or whatever. And they admit, well, this is just, I'm not going to be reliable and that's fine. Mm. And, that's and then okay. who am I to argue that? It just, it took a little while for me to then, especially in working roles, but you know, like if, uh, you know, if my dog only tracks when he's hungry, well, like if I were your boss, you'd be fired, but I'm not. So I'm not in your sphere of influence. Yeah, there's people that I've known in the industry who are professional trainers who have never been in competition a day in their life and have no intention to do so. However, they can have their dog doing a drop stay in a field while there's 50 dogs training around them and that dog will never move from position. And if you ask them, what do you want to do with your dog? And they're saying, I'm doing it. I can have my dog under effective management and control the entire time. It doesn't matter for me to have a ribbon or a trophy in my room. It means nothing to me. Like for some people, it means the world. You know, that's how they measure things against that. And I understand that and get that because sometimes like 
competition. Sometimes I don't. Mm. You know, like it's not the be all and end all for me. What is the be all and end all for me because I've worked with people so long is how is this relationship working out with you and your dog? Is it everything that you dreamed it would be or is there still problem areas in it? Like I said, there's a little bit of conflict in that because some people I think they really talk the big game and they really need to be out in the competition field to fulfill what they're saying and other people, they're not. They're saying, no, totally satisfied with where I am. I'm in a good place. So long to you. I agree with that. So long as their message gels with their what they're doing. That's yeah. where I agree. It yeah. needs to That's be authentic. totally where I agree. Yeah. You need to have walked what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like I, this is the thing that I, I just refuse to take – Again, it's a bias of mine, but I refuse to take advice from people who are telling me what it is to bring a dog to competition that have never successfully brought a dog to competition. So it's like, well, what do you know fucking know about it? You've never done it. And and you get people who want to tell you about what the mindset in competition and that kind of thing is, and they've never done it. So it's like, well, why? And then the worst people of all you get in the industry are people who will tell you that their own technique or system or whatever is applicable and appropriate but have no proof of that. You know what I mean? Like this is this is the beauty of, this is why I like competition is the collars come off, the leashes come off, and we get to see whether you're full of shit or not. It's the, the cool story, show me your dog. Mm. And if, you're, if your system never, if you're the kind of person that says, well, no, I just want a dog that I can live with, and you're living with your dog, perfect. You are in competition every day. Like you're doing that. Yeah. But if you're going to say like, I... My, I tell people to get to off-leash control and you don't have that yourself and you're not taking your dog everywhere, well, then shut the fuck up. Like, you are not doing that. You, you're not capable. You're not showing it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what we Don't also- talk a big game without the big show. Cool story. Show, show me, me your dog. dog. Mm. I like that. I was just thinking that I think one thing is also that we, when we do see people with the dog's owners, not so much trainers, that we do have a look at their context. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think context is a lot. And I think sometimes we forget the context. It's, I think it's easy to protect ourselves to not look at the context because when I watch dog consults, very often we look a lot at the dog's context for training, but we don't look at their living context and their relationship context. And yeah. That's what I would encourage dog trainers to do. Mm. Pay a bit more attention to the story, why they got a dog, what are the motives. Because I'm, I'm going to go on a mini rant here. Do but, it. But it, it's so important and it, oh, it irks me. So dog trainers know so fucking much about how to motivate a dog, the reward system for a dog, like, you know, how to pay the dog. They know what the dog likes and whatever. But we don't have – we have so little knowledge and understanding what motivates the dog owner. And they are values. You as a dog trainer, you need to know what motivates that dog owner to put them – Working. But that's where your specialty comes in. That's where you're changing yes, the landscape. Yeah, that's part of the bravery. Yeah, that's yeah. part of it. It's like, for me, it's like, yeah, you know, dog owners, they're not motivated by a slobbery ball, but mm. they might be motivated with friendship, but you can show them they need to work for it. It's yeah. not like a speed dating thing where you go like, hey, I want to be friends. Yeah, you do everything for me. It needs to be earned. Mm. I think that since I've been liaising with you a lot more on your philosophies behind it, one of the questions I'm asking people a lot more is how does it make you feel? Like, what do you see in this image? I think that's something that I asked, but I didn't ask it in the detail that I do now. Like, I'm spending more time saying, how does it look to you? What does it mean to you? The feedback I'm getting from that is actually very therapeutical on both sides, mine, theirs, and the dog's. Oh, that's good because mm. if my contribution in a dog industry would be that dog trainers see the human a little bit more and they understand how to troubleshoot problems with the human a bit more, I would be very happy. 
because I think it would make your life, the dog trainer's life, the dog's life, and the owner's life a lot easier. I think anything that makes your life easier is a win-win for everybody. Yeah, and, but it's. I think at the moment... Win-win-win. It is, but it's. I think there's a lot of anxiety around changing your behavior around this and actually interacting with the human because it's nice to have a bit of distance there. So it's like a safety blanket. Mm. So, yeah, Rihanna said that, Rihanna Nation, she said that really beautifully in the post. She's like, you know, we dog trainers and dog owners are very worried about interacting with the people all of a sudden and talking about what actually matters to us. Mm. I like to ask people at the moment, like, what's your highest priority for this dog like what do you why do you why do you have this dog what's the reason you got the dog and sometimes they'll rattle off two or three things Mm. and then the hard part comes to say well we need to pick the number one because this thing and this thing are not compatible yet they can be later but right now like especially in the sort of performance training that i'm sort of trying well am specializing in is people say they come to me wanting to get more power from their dog and more enthusiasm, more drive. And then I, you're friends with them on social media and you see them like doing in, everything. Yeah. Well, in a training explain. session, they do everything correct. And then they're living with their dog totally separately, like, yeah. and, and giving their dog mixed cues. And, and it, it's, you, you're like, man, it, it's one or the other. I told you. Like but you, that's when the human needs overrides the training needs. Can you see like this? Yeah, yeah. That's right. And has always a payoff. If people don't change, it, don't change, it has a big payoff. If you don't understand that payoff and that secondary gain, you will be stuck. Yeah. That's going to be a good discussion point in the canine paradigm discussion group. Yeah. people. I think people can, if you've listened to this podcast, why don't you list the reason why you got your dog? Yeah. I think that'd be pretty interesting. Hmm. Have you raised the dog to fulfill that? Yeah. Like, you know. That's and, the discussion topic. And those reasons can change. Like Valerie, for example, the reason we got her was to film a video series on how to raise a puppy. We actually didn't intend to keep her after that. She was going to be moved on. And now the reason I have her is she's like, she's my little heart dog. She mm. does it like I hardly, I, I'm with her a lot. I'm with her all the time. I don't do that much training because I kind of like her just doing her own thing. She pays me off a fair bit. She's I mean, a her strong, recall, independent woman. Her, 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 her recall and her down a rock solid that's yep. never gonna be an issue but you know her obedience is waning a little bit like and by obedience your ground zero dog too no, right she's perfect and, mm. and like i say her obedience is you know still better than most people it's just like her focused heel isn't as tight as it as it used to be mm. you know what i mean that's what i'm saying but um it it her purpose now is to just be my dog that i just love and don't expect things of that's her job yeah um that's my and, french bulldogs yeah, they're not they're not my public dogs. They're my pets. Yeah, you know, like the dogs that sleep on our beds and hang around inside with us. Because people say, "Well, what are you doing with them?" I'm enjoying them. I'm loving them. Yeah, and so that's totally fine. You can I totally have that. Dogs. And Remy's job is is to be the proof of my training capability. That's yep. literally why I have that dog. That's why I asked Sam when he had that litter. I said, "Please, I need one of these dogs because I've got these ideas in my. I've got all this theoretical knowledge." And I want to, I need a vehicle with which to prove that I can do those things. That's mm. not to say I don't love him. And Same with Randy. Exactly he, same. Yeah. And we've got him to the point now, like my dog, there was an interesting, Emma had an interesting thing in the discussion group about creating dogs. Like mm. my dog now is finally at the point where he's, he's just in the house. He like, and I've got all the power that I want and the livability that I want. It's all there. He just chills out. He doesn't sleep in the box anymore. He's in the house when I'm not there. He's got a door. He goes out and he can totally be a dog. But if I tried to do that early, there's there's no way I could get the power and performance that I have in the work. 
Like it's just they're incompatible things. They cannot happen at the same time. Mm. And that's one of the things is trying to explain that to people. Mm. And people, yeah, you know. That's a good point. Yeah, and, mm. and people smile and nod at me and go, got it. And they do a great session and they send me a video of them doing a fantastic session. And I go, you're on track. That's perfect. And then like I see in this in their social media <laughs> elsewhere is like them telling the dog eight times to get off the couch and, yep. and they're like there's no consistency no there's no and yeah. and you've got to have that clear like this is the issue with with dogs is they're always learning there's 100%. a corny old always. industry saying that the th- there's three C's to dog training consistency consistency yeah. consistency exactly yeah but so your the dog three C's you your dog is an opportunistic scavenger, right? He's just yep. looking for the what the pattern. It's, it's called with him. What's in it for me? Yeah, well, but that's it. So they find the pattern and continue along what brings me reinforcement, and in so, the shortest way possible. Yeah, mm. and so isn't that amazing that we that we have those creatures who always test us? Like I, I was just like when you asked me why do I have my dog, I'm like, oh, she's a beautiful friend and whatever, but she is a big behavioral case luna will never stop not having a problem she had the other day a panic attack because we had papa dumps for dinner she could not handle us having papa dumps for dinner the noise freaked her out and it's so sad so i will so i think but i think you give yourself away there because you say she will not stop having problems like she has you, to you 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 have to I, I appreciate what you're saying but i don't think that i think luna is the type of dog with the type of constitution that she has. She will have heaps of room to improve. But will I ever walk her off leash on Manly Beach on a Sunday morning? Highly doubtful. <laughs> so why do you think she had an issue with the poppadoms? It's the noise. Or is it is it a cue for the aftermath? <laughs> no, no I, she's just – it was the cracking. We tested it. It was the cracking of the noise that yep. just freaked her out. Yeah, right. So we fixed the window problem. So we broken the chain there. So she was good with that. And now we have Papa Dumb. So the box training. You got to fix the Papa Dumb problem. <laughs> we have to in your Papa Dumb box training. Give her scenario. some Papa Dumb so she can she, track it herself. And she didn't want to. Like we took me a week till she accepted the bloody Papa Dumb, and then she farts and he clears the house. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, you need to use that wiggle song as desensitization. All the parents listening will know what I'm talking about. There's a wiggle I don't song. Know the wiggle There's song. a you know the wiggles. There's a wiggle song that just goes Papa Dumb, Papa Dumb, Papa 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 Dumb, Papa Dumb, Papa Dumb, Papa Dumb, Dumb. Like that's the whole song just for like four minutes of that. Oh my god, how annoying! Oh, sorry. There's a part where it goes Papa. Papa dump. That's the only. I'm already word. over it. <laughs> but um, do you have any more questions or anything? Nah, I don't think so. Thanks for nerding with me. Thanks for coming Thanks on. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Hey, so you said it at the start. Say it again. Workshops coming up. What have you got? Yeah, so I have um, the 2nd and 3rd of February in Sydney. And is there spots available for that? Yes, there are. Limited. And they, and they talk to you directly for that? They just go on my webpage, pauseinlife.com.au yep. or my Facebook page and they the can contact there. me. Yep. And then there is the Melbourne workshops in one workshop in on the 4th and 5th of May. Then there's Brisbane is up and coming, but nothing has been finalised. And then I'm in America in Maine in middle of September at the um, Maine Dog Training Company. Super and cool. Doesn't look good, but I'm gonna do Skype consult. However, people have to. <laughs> people will be. I had to really think about it because I tracked a lot of people that look for a psychologist and a counselor, and not someone who wants to have help with their dogs. And mm-hmm. I need to be the type of dog problems to have. It's difficult to do without seeing everyone. So I, I will 
at the moment only do teaching them dropping your anchor and understanding how you can do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you need the video. (laughs) I need to amp up my dirty mind game. (laughs) I can't keep up. But basically I want to teach people how to ground themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's it's very structured what I teach at the moment, but it's because I have quite a lot of risk factors like after the last year I got a lot of emails from really distressed people mm-hmm. and I I'm not the right person and so let's put that out there now so people can contact you to well via the website to go to workshops and seminars and that's yep. the best bet if it's physically capable for you to get to one of those if yep. that's possible but you can do Skype consults with extremely it's a program. You basically have sessions that I tell you what to do. Right. Like I tell you these are the skills I teach you. But maybe give me another couple of weeks that I put it in writing so you can see it. Okay. Um, if you have interest, send me an email and I can shoot it to you. But I was advised by my lawyer and my insurance I, because of my title, I need to really make sure that it's safe for everyone. Yeah, yeah. So. And, and people contacting you because they're going to be your special psychologist. Don't do it. It's not going to happen. I can't help you with your depression. I can't help you with your PTSD. Yep. Um, I can I can only show you kind of like what I do as from a dog training perspective, mm-hmm. um, how you can do that better, but I'm not your counsellor. Unless you want to see me in a clinic in Sydney. Different story, but not on not online. Yeah, not on Facebook. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. I hey, thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's always, always great to have you, Bertie. You're always Thank welcome you. here. And I'm sure we're going to have you on again this year if not multiple times this year will be anytime somebody you're always welcome yeah of course you are you're part of, like you. i said you just are just turn up you know where we record you're our uh, resident psych and dropping anchors <laughs> hey we've discussed a couple of things but i'm going to say this out loud now so that we're stuck into doing it we get a lot of questions about the books because we talk about the books a fair bit and we should have asked you Bertie, what are you reading right now I have reread Shantaram because I was on holiday, so I just wanted to have a fictional Shantaram. 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 I don't know how to say it in English. Mm, um, but know. it's Australian that broke out of a prison and went to India. Yeah, right. Mm. So that, I, I know Brent knows it too. I reread that. And now I'm reading a lot of how we are being influenced by social media, how there's a lot of contagion mm. in fear in media and how we can step away. And I'm planning to move house this year. I want to have a bit more of a rural life, so I'm looking up about permaculture gardening it's very cool. boring mm. cool. <laughs> and self-sustaining living and how to it's not boring it's actually good living off the grid yeah i just want to be a bit more independent because i realized that i'm not meant to be in the sydney hustle bustle it's too chaotic mm-hmm. soon we'll find you've got a basement full of prepper food and your bug out kit and a little you know van what? to escape I, I will have food but i don't see it from a oh my god doomsday i just want to have my own good food because good Fair quality enough. food costs a lot yep. yeah agreed my doomsday kit is a, a gun and yep. I'm just going to take the stuff off other people who have prepped. Yeah, I've got a gun, um, a <laughs> compound gonna... bow and a battle axe. No, I've just got 12 and a half years in special forces mm. and that's my doomsday prep. And I'm just going to find out people who are really into it and I'm just going to take their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I shouldn't let you know that I'm going to move to the <laughs> Well, the three of us can hang together. Yeah. Okay, so what I was saying is we get a lot of questions about books and stuff, and so we're going to start another Facebook group called the Canine Paradigm Book Club. Club. Oh, I love it. I love it. So what we're going to do, and we'll take the photo for that, do the cover thing right now, and so what it's going to be, by now it probably exists if you're listening to this, but go and check it out. We'll probably call it the Canine Paradigm Book Club. Look that up. And what it's going to be is if you're reading something interesting, post 
a photo with the cover of the book or a photo of the book or whatever, and then the discussion on that book can happen underneath that photo as comments. So we don't get like multiple threads of the same book and it'd be hard for people to follow. Yeah. I think that would be cool. So then, and then in your post have the name of the book as the first thing that you write. That way, when you want to post about a new book that you want to be in there, you can first search the group, type in the name of that book, and it will show you if somebody already has, and then you can contribute to the discussion. I love Perfect. It. I love it. Love so it, that love should it. work out pretty mm. well. I'm sure that since it's our audience full of smart asses, there will be people that post the same thing six times <laughs> and then ask what are the dimensions of the book. But, but other than that, we should be able to stay on track with this. And I think that'd be really cool because so many people we like to ask guests about what books they're reading and then people contact us all the time with what's the reading list and this way at least you know you can get people could if you really like a book you could post a synopsis or whatever you know whatever happens underneath that's cool whatever but it'll be it's just going to be a one place for that and those posts i'm going to delete anything that's not a book post like i don't want discussion going on in there then it's a library yeah it's just that stuff i don't want to very good posts in like, hey, look at this cute picture of my dog. I'm deleting that shit. It's just the books. Mm. So yeah, jump on and do that. It should exist by now by the time you're listening to this. Cool. Let's wrap it up. Bertie, thanks very much for Thank coming. Thank you for having me. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, jump onto whatever subscription service you download us from. Like, rate, share, subscribe. Doing that really helps us spread the word. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is via Patreon. We've got plenty of content in there now and three bucks a month will get you access to all of that and there'll be ongoing content every month in there. And if you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is via Facebook. We are the Canine Paradigm there. If you've got something that relates to me and Glenn, please put it there because it's too difficult when when people contact one of us individually about something you'd like us both to do that Mm. that that we've already sort of accidentally double booked at a time because we've been talking to different people so you need to contact us both at the same time so we both know what's going on exactly good point music please